Let's take our Bibles, shall we, and turn to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 5. We'll learn the 150th Psalm Wednesday night, I think. John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. I want to talk this evening from this passage of Scripture on the human will and the provision of the Lord to work everything of his victory. Probably the best way for me to begin is to give a testimony. I don't know if the testimony maybe would come better later on, but I'm going to start with it. It was just about uh, three weeks ago that I gave the testimony of my, my own life. I've never done that till that one time on the, uh, the last Sunday of June. And... Uh, I mentioned then the healing work of the Lord Jesus two times in my infancy when I was just a, a baby and then on occasion when I was about two and a half years old. And aside from those two times that the miracle touch of the Lord worked in my life, which obviously had nothing to do with my own faith, I was healed many times just from different things that came along during my years growing up. But the most significant healing of, of the Lord in my, in my life where I was personally, it was up to me to decide whether I was going to trust the Lord or not, was the first semester that I entered college. I entered midterm and I was playing basketball. It was that, that season, of course, at that time. And I was quite severely injured. It was a, an injury that's not easy to discuss because of the physiology of it, but just simply said it was a groin injury and the pain was horrendous. And it was, I was caught by a fellow's knee while I was going up after a ball and he was coming down and I was uh, just in horrible pain for eight days. And during the, the days that, that was day followed day, in fact it was a little more than that, it was about a week and a half, I can remember just the determination that I would not miss class and I, I literally had to drag one leg to walk during that, that period of time. And if anyone asked me how I'd hurt myself, just I'd just tell them that I hurt my leg playing basketball and that, that they would see me dragging the leg and it was easy to explain that way, unembarrassing, and so I could get around pretty easily. But the, the pain was agonizing and anyone that has had anything approximating that I know can, can sympathize with it. 
And I, can, I have told on occasions different facets of that story just in passing notes. I remember telling a little about the, the song Victory in Jesus that came to mean much to me, another song that I had Naomi Beard sing when she and John were here last time about he knows just how much you can bear. And this was quite a time of, of experiencing just the, the horror of, a, of, a, of an affliction being on you for a period of time. And while those few days may not seem very long, the pain was considerable, and it's a very memorable time to my mind. One evening, and I mentioned this also recently when Mrs. Darnell was here and spoke with us, uh, one of the fellows came over, burst into the room, and, and my, my dorm room where I was already gone to bed, although it was about 8 or 8.15 in the evening, and uh, he said, Jack, they're praying for people. There's a guest evangelist over there at the temple. Let's go over. And uh, he said, just people are being healed right and left. And by the time I was able to literally drag myself over there, the healing line was down to where there was just, they were praying for the last person. And I just walked down the aisle and walked right up on the platform and was prayed for. And the Lord touched my body instantly. And I stood straight up and began to walk. And when I was going down the stairs, the, off the platform, it, it became clear to me that if I went to sit down in the auditorium, that, that those, those symptoms would come back with such force that I would fear getting up again because of the pain, fear getting up and trying to walk. So I walked right out of the auditorium and just walked up to Sunset Boulevard and walked for I don't know how far up Sunset Boulevard toward downtown Los Angeles, turned around and came back and just walked around in my room for, I must have walked for an hour and a half, just determining that I would not surrender the healing. I was not in pain, but there was that memory of how it was to walk with the pain, and because of the memory, I didn't want to stop for fear that if I stopped, the healing would not be there. Finally, I undressed, prepared for bed, went to bed. When I woke up in the morning, I remember very well, lying. I was facing the wall when I woke up, and my first thought was I remembered how even to turn over in bed hurt so badly. And then I remembered that the Lord had touched my body the night before. And I lay there for just a moment, having to make a decision. And in a very real sense, it is embarrassing to me to tell you the decision because of something that happened to me this past week. My decision was I whipped the covers off of me and I swung out of bed and just came down on both feet. And I've often said in telling about this that if I hadn't have been healed, I would have been dead. One of the But I determined to move on the basis of what I knew the Lord had done in my body that night, and I was healed, and I, I've, everything's been all right from that day to this. Just last Wednesday afternoon, I was playing baseball like an idiot up in, uh, up in Alaska, and usually in the camps I'll go out and play a couple of days with the kids, and with the passage of every year, uh, it becomes more and more of an effort, though I've... <laughs> I've always enjoyed athletics, and I can still do fairly well at bat and for the first two innings in the field. Uh, but this was about the fifth or sixth inning of the game, and I was playing first base, and the second baseman just really couldn't even see straight or catch anything. And uh, when a fellow overran second, I ran over to cover to work in a rundown. Those of you that play much ball, you know what I'm talking about. And we ran the guy down. I tagged him out just as he was about... 10, 15 yards, 50 feet this side of third base. And when I made the tag out, I was turning around to walk over through my mitt to the guy that was coming on the field because that was the third out. 
And I sensed just a pain in the lower part of my back, a pain like I have had on different occasions before where I just overdid it one way or another. So I went over and sat down. I was waiting for my time at bat because I thought, well, I'll, I'll quit in a few minutes, but I want to at least get my hits, you know, get up and have my shot at it. But the pain came, uh, just started increasing so, so radically that I just, I just told the guy that was captain of our team that I was going back over to the cabin and, and walked away, very limping and uh, not feeling very well at all. I uh, won't take time to tell the whole story, but the Lord sent one of the people who was at that camp uh, to, to come and talk to me. And they didn't even know what was going on in my own mind or my thinking. And I want to share with you some of that thinking before I ever got there. In fact, reaching back over the last few months here in the life of the church. But the Lord was, uh, th this person sat there and just began to talk about trusting the Lord for healing. And they were very gracious in the way they discussed it. It was not anyone who was... Uh, you know, just kind of piling it on in a self-righteous way, you know what I mean? But they were just really sharing their heart. And while they talked with me, I said very frankly to them that I really didn't have much faith for this particular kind of thing because I've always felt that anything that's a result of your own stupidity, that you really can't come waltzing in before God and say, well, Lord, I did it again, you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> and uh, so... And I gave him a couple of examples of that and that I had experienced this kind of thing many times. And uh, it's a matter of fact, I don't know how many, but I would estimate that that kind of condition in my back I've experienced in the last oh, 10 to 15 years, probably on an average of every other year anyway. So it's a thing that I've experienced a lot of times. I know how it feels when it starts. I know how when it gets really bad. I know how long it's going to last, and it's just a thing you kind of live through and you come out of after anywhere from uh, five to eight or nine, maybe ten days if it's really bad. And so uh, I just was a bundle of faith, as you can tell, as they were, were talking to me about that. And I was, uh, when that was over, I, I got up and I just walked around because I've, I, I can keep fairly mobile as long as uh, I do keep in motion. And uh, I went in to, later on, I didn't need any dinner because I, I really felt lousy. I was shaky. I remember while they were in singing for the service, I was out on the front porch of the auditorium just literally shaking. I'm holding my hands out and was shaking because the, the pain really was, was considerable. And uh, Anna was where I could see her from outside, and I motioned to her, and she came out and prayed with me. And I went in, and it, it, this happens to me all the time. Whenever I'm teaching or preaching, nothing really bothers me, and I just... Everything was all right all that time. And when I got done, the, uh, they said, well, let's, let's pray for, uh, for him. And I, I went over to the, uh, I neglected to tell you one thing. After I came back from, from the ball field, I, I went, uh, I, I laid down and took a nap for two hours. And then I had that conversation after that. And when I got up from the nap, I'm not kidding you, I have only twice that I can remember ever had anything like this, but I, I really couldn't walk. I, I don't mean I was paralyzed. I mean when I would try and get up, I just, I, I, I could not hold myself. And I went with the weight of one leg trying to move a foot. I couldn't shuffle. And uh, 
then I just would, would try and get up again, and after three or four tries, I could get up and begin to navigate, manipulate. And so this, this horrible stiffness and the awful pain, I knew that I was in for a long time. To tell you the truth, one of the main things that came to my mind is that I was beginning to, about a day or two before when I was out walking one of the back roads, just walking along. It's, it's a nice place to go and pray when you're in a place like that. A nice place to not go and pray is in the auditorium where you usually would because there are kids doing everything in the world everywhere. And uh, so I went... Uh, I'd been out walking, and the Lord had really impressed my heart about doing a teaching on healing. And all I could see was standing up here in my crippled condition on Sunday night teaching on healing and being the very picture of health. And uh, so I'd been prayed for by this time by two or three people. I think that's one of the more humbling things that happened to any of us. You know, it's when somebody prays and somebody else says, well, let me pray. And I want to, I'm going to have a few words to say about that, I think, before we're done here tonight. But in case I just don't remember to get around to it, I want to say to you folks, don't ever turn off prayer. Don't ever turn off prayer. Well, we prayed once. It's unbelief to pray. I don't believe that stuff. I just don't believe it. I think going around begging all the time is another thing. But to just to hang in there and say, Lord, we're trusting you. Just to stay right at it. I believe there's scripture for it on both sides. And I... I don't. Uh, I, I just don't like this. Well, we prayed once, and so just kind of go and moan it on through. But there's a warfare at times to, to be exercised. And so that night after the service, I I'd had gotten through the meeting just fine. But I I knew. In fact, I shuddered to think what it would be like to go to bed, and uh, then wake up and have this back like the stiffness that had come from just that nap in the afternoon. Because after a full night, uh, I, I I just. Really, God knows only what it might have been like. And so this uh, one of the folks who was on the camp staff, the one who had come in and spoken with me that afternoon, and it encouraged me and prayed for me, and prayed for me, I mean for a long time. We stood there in prayer for probably 10 or 15 minutes, just praising the Lord, and I'd walk around and just praise again, and Anna was there with me, and we were just... You know, just bless God, we're going to trust the Lord and hang in there and I don't care and all that. But we got through the evening service and I, I hope to tell you folks that it was not joy bells. And now that I was through preaching and uh, I was kind of hobbling around and most everybody had left the auditorium and this person came over again to me and there was only three or four left in the auditorium just standing around up over there by the organ and talking, and they said, well, let's pray again. Just, I, I hate to see you with that pain. And so I said, well, go ahead. And then one of the counselors came up, uh, a, a woman, and she said, uh, she said, listen, would you like to have the kids pray for you? And right then I had to make a decision, which went somewhat like this. It is, uh, well, if the kids pray for me and I'm not healed, it's a horrible testimony to them. I really didn't care about me. Uh, as I don't mean the pain. I cared about that, but I didn't care about whether they thought I had faith or not because I'm just not going to sweat over that stuff. But uh, I just hated to have them pray and nothing happened. And so I, I had to decide whether I would just go ahead and commit. And I said, well, yeah. yeah. I said, I have, I'll, I'll take all the prayer I can get. And I really mean it. That's not just a speech. And so she was going to go out and have them call over the loudspeaker and any kids that wanted to come, come, and we'd gather around and pray just before they all went to their, their beds for the evening. But before she went, those that were standing around the organ, just they said, well, let's just pray again. And so we did. This is probably now about the fifth time that I've been prayed for. 
And I'm feeling just slightly goofy, but I forgot to tell you, when that counselor said that, and I was trying to decide how to answer, I started to say what I had said earlier about, well, when things happen to me as a result of my own stupidity, I don't really feel that I have a right to come to the Lord with those things. And the Holy Spirit checked me to stop talking that way. Now, this is a spiritual principle that is really of enormous importance that you learn how not to talk as well as how to talk. And I shouldn't have even said it earlier that day, but I've said that speech so many times that I, I could give you examples of that because it's really sort of a way that I believe. But the Lord really challenged me on that point to quit talking that way. So I didn't speak that way. I, I didn't say it. Nobody knew what I didn't say. I, the fact of the matter is I did say I said, no, I won't make that confession. And I said, I was going to say something, but forget it. I refuse to say it. And that, that young woman had not taken 10 steps to go make that call. I was standing there just against the organ, and I experienced something that I've never experienced in my life. I have felt the anointing of the Lord. I've seen the glory of God. I've, I've felt impressions of the Lord. The Lord has spoken to my heart many times, but I have never felt the immediate touch of the Lord Jesus on my body. And while I was standing there by that organ, there was nobody behind me, folks, but there were just two touches right in my back. And just as that finger touched me in those two places, just so gently and painlessly, everything slid right into place, just like that. I stood up and it was so easy and so, so unelectric and everything. <laughs> that I, I really, I had to stand up and decide, did I just feel better? Or is, but I knew, I had felt the touch of the Lord. I could, I could take your arm and just touch just the way that it felt, just the gentle but very real touch. No, no supercharged thing to it, but just two touches. And with that, I said, wait just a minute. And I said, I said, listen. <laughs> I said, the Lord touched me just now. And, and I walked around to test it and see how it was. <laughs> really not in unbelief, it was just in, in amazement. And I was amazed. And while I was walking around, there was still a tinge of pain in my lower back, just a little bit. And that's one thing that puzzled me in my mind. And while I probably walked from here halfway back, like up the aisle, while the others were just standing back there watching me, they could tell from the way I was walking because I was really bent over to one side. It was, it was, you could, Anna said she could look at the back of me and just see it was just out of kilter. And so while I was walking over there, I'm thinking, if the Lord bothered to touch me at all, why isn't the work completed? And just as quickly as I answered that, asked that question, the Lord answered me. And I didn't understand the significance of the answer yet, but the Lord just just said to me that he wanted me to learn to trust him the way that, that I needed to trust him now. So I didn't think much about that, but I was still a little puzzled. You figure, well, if the Lord's going to heal, he heals all the way. And I, I knew it was such a marvelous thing. There was no question in my mind. It was nothing flukish. I told you, I've experienced this thing a lot of times. And never, never had anything like this. One time I had the Lord really work a deliverance, but it was nothing like that. It's a... That's another story. But at any rate, this, this uh, direct, feelable, physical touch of the Lord that healed my body 
was a remarkable thing. I went on, uh, went on into the other room, to the uh, department of the camp owners, I should say, and uh, Anna was there, and I told her what the Lord had done, and we talked, and I could sit there and lean back in the chair, and things that three hours, four hours before were just agony to me were no problem. There's still just this mild pain on the base of my, my back. So we went on, went to bed, and when I woke up in the morning, would you believe I was facing the same direction that I was facing how many years before? It would be 22 years before. And it is morning, and I can imagine what it will be like to move. But this time, it is, it's a different kind of injury. But I remember waking up that afternoon before and the horrible pain when I moved. And I laid there, nothing hurt. The fact of the matter is, I remember two or three times in the night moving, and I was perfectly, I, I, I remember thinking I need to wake up to move. And I would kind of come to semi-consciousness and move and nothing hurt and I was all right and I would kind of praise the Lord and immediately go back to sleep. But I woke up now and all I can think of is how badly it hurt to get up the day before. And that's when the Lord whispered to my heart, now I told you. And I knew that what he meant was that I could only remember that mild little pain, which I didn't feel now, but I'd gone to bed with that mild little pain and the Lord is basically asking me, at 39, can you trust me at least as much as when you were 17? And folks, I don't like to tell you this, but I didn't. I slowly, gradually turned around, feeling every move until I finally got up, and I was as well as I was the night before, but I was no better. Now, you can sit and do as many thoughts as you want about, well, if you'd have just jumped up, it probably would have hurt that little bit too. And I'm going to tell you right now that I know it wouldn't have. And you say, then why didn't you do it? And I'll tell you because I was afraid. I was afraid of pain. I was afraid that it, it wouldn't work. And in spite of the fact that the Lord Jesus himself touched me, and I could feel it the night before, I was afraid to move boldly. And out of that experience, the Lord, along with things that were happening in the days before, and along with things that he said over the last months to some of us as we, especially the pastoral staff, as we prayed together, the Lord began to crystallize some things in my mind, and it's with that in mind that I have you look with me at the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John tonight. Now, to begin with, <clears throat> the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda really focuses on verse 8, where Jesus says, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But it goes back to a scene, a scene where there was first the providential working of the Lord. This uh, is a thing that you can bandy around with all you want in verses 3 and 4, but this, where people would stay around the Pool of Bethesda, which, by the way, is a findable place. You can go there. It's quite a story about the archaeological significance of the Pool of Bethesda. Do you know that one of the reasons Bible critics would say that the Gospel of John wasn't authentic was they said, well, there was no such place as the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. There's nowhere that even answers to that until 1930 when they dug up the place, and you can go there, and it's a huge place, and would you believe that there are apparent five porch areas in it, just like the Bible says. They found that place there. It's just north of St. Stephen's Gate. And so the, the Pool of Bethesda is, a, is a, an establishable place. It's a, 
one of the things that's an archaeological evidence for the authenticity of the Gospel of John. But it was at this scene where the Scripture says something that there's no way to verify other than the fact the Scripture just tells us about it. The people were there waiting for the moving of the water because periodically, and we're not told when, but at certain seasons, an angel would come and trouble the waters. And what troubling the waters means, we don't know that either. There are even some people that challenge the validity as to whether this, this little report here sort of stuck in ought to be incorporated in Scripture. I don't hesitate. But one of the problems people have in their mind is that, well, why, if the Lord would send an angel to trouble the water, why does only the first person in get healed? I mean, after all, God's a God of love, God of grace. Why didn't he trouble the water? And everybody that dives in gets it. And people can take those kind of little speculative things, and what it really finally boils down to is one of the real problems when you deal with the matter of the human will and the provision of God. That even in the areas of God's providential provision, I don't mean his redemptive provision. God's redemptive provision is total to everybody all the time. It is God's will to make everything that Jesus is available to every man every minute. That's the Lord's desire. It's totally available all the time. But there is still God's providence. There are things that are built in to the divine order of things as far as man is concerned that you can, you can argue about, debate about, and say, well, if he does that much, why doesn't he do more? If he saved that person from death, why doesn't he go just ahead and uh, finish up everything about their life, force them on into life in Jesus, and make them prosperous the rest of their life, or something like that? But the Lord's providential working is preserving. It keeps, and it is only the hand of, the God, of God that the, the whole earth is not consumed in its own iniquity already. The Lord in his providence spares. And that there was an angel that would come and trouble the waters would, be, would turn to an argument in some minds and mouths, and they'd say, well, it's not right. That if he's going to bother to do anything, then why doesn't he do everything? And rather than a thankful heart saying, thank God there was a show of grace periodically that people could, at least somebody could move in, they stand back and with the human uh, cynical, critical form uh, challenges the goodness of God. But there are, there are those who are the waiters, the people who are just waiting for something to happen and then hope that they can get on it. And they, they really depend upon a kind of caprice. It's, it's sort of as though that God will, once in a while, the Lord may do something. And if you're fortunate enough to get in on that, then it's your lucky day, and you can praise God. And that whole idea of just waiting around and hoping that something will happen is one of the things that plague mankind when it comes to the whole matter of his provision and deliverance that is available to mankind. Because wherever you turn, you will find people who the guidepost of their life as far as God's miracle provision for them is, well, I'll just, you know... Maybe one of those days something like that will happen to us. Or wouldn't it be great if, if we just happened to, you know, if we'd pray and Grandma so-and-so, God would touch her and she'd be healed of that, that her arthritic condition. And when, they, when the, one of the children's sick in the home, uh, if they do bother to pray, it's sort of kind of a spiritual guesswork. Well, let's, you know, we don't want to destroy the child's faith by praying for him and not being healed, sort of the way that I told you about me backing off at first in myself and then being unwilling to say, don't have the campers pray for me. There's that, that thing that basically is saying that God isn't dependable. 
that there's maybe once in a while an angel will come down and trouble the waters. Once in a while somebody has faith. Once in a while something happens. And people who wait and wait and wait and wait and never possess what God has for them. In the case of this man, it was not just that he was in a band of waiters, but the Bible says in verse 5, this certain man was there that had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. And that is a pretty long time to bear a sickness, and it brings me out of the circle in my thinking of the waiters and into the uh, circle of the experienced. I'll tell you something. It's the, as hard a people as there are to deal with are people that have experienced any kind of failure, any kind of disappointment, because human nature becomes gun-shy. And I gave you the witness of my own experience of just this last week. The pain of that evening when I woke up from that afternoon nap after the injury, the pain was enough to scare me out of the action of faith the next morning. And I don't stand here to tell you that I'm any great symbol of faith, but I'm sure not going to be caged forever by my failures, and I'm going to learn by the things that I find to be the truth of the Word, and I believe the Lord wants me to learn on. And one of these things, there's a man of 38 years, I suppose that whatever his infirmity was, that if somebody came who just recently contracted that or had this kind of a difficulty, he was bedfast from it, that he could tell him every symptom in detail. And if someone was just starting to get it, he could say, oh, well, if you think that's bad, wait until, you know, after about five years. What happens is these sores start coming on you then. And the people that can say, well, I've been through all that, and you don't know what I've experienced, and I understand all the details of pain. And I, I, if there's anybody that knows, I remember uh, just this last week when one of the, one of the uh, leaders in the camp uh, started to get some nuts behind his ears that seemed like mumps, and his uh, wife's mother was there. In fact, he's the director of the camp. His wife's mother was there, and she talked about a bundle of faith, and she's a believer. But she says, uh, when he started feeling those knots, and he came and he said, Jack, I wish you and Anna would pray for me. And he called his wife, Denise, over. He said, I wish you guys would pray for me. And his mother-in-law sitting over there, and she says, well, it's probably the mumps, and look out, boy, if they go down on you, you're really in trouble. You know, and she's, yeah, I remember, and then she can tell you about Uncle Henry when he got the mumps, and they went down on him. And boy, you've got problems now because you're, and there's always people who are the experienced, the ones who knows what, know what it's like. And it's not always a matter of just like I said that becomes funny. There's the ones who become sympathetic. Brothers and sisters, it is one thing to have compassion for people, and it's another thing to have a phony fleshly level sympathy. Now, I don't have a whole lot of patience with people who, in the name of faith, become heartless. I remember hearing this story several years ago by one of the most outstanding healing evangelists of the past generation. And he tells about a tragedy that he went through and when it was all over, a physical period of suffering. And he said, the Lord, I knew that God didn't put it on me, but he said, I really gained one thing in that I gained a compassion for people that have pain. Because he said, I would stand time again in the pulpit and say, you don't need to fear pain. Now stand up and move. And when people wouldn't respond the way I said, I had no patience with them said, I realized one day it wasn't because only I had so much faith. A lot of it was that I didn't have any compassion, and I hadn't learned what it means to experience those things. But there's a balance point where you come to a place of compassion, another thing of fleshly sympathy that says, well, I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to take any chances with that. And you come to the area of experience. And the area of experience can really be a hurtful thing. I think one of the things that really is remarkable 
is to watch people that have just recently come under the teaching that Jesus is the healer. And have you ever noticed how many times they pray for people and they get healed? Have you ever noticed that? It's because they're just simple enough to pray for about everything. And I'll tell you something. I have never known of anyone who in simple faith, I'm not talking about some kind of a dogmatic arrogance or pride, but I mean I've never known anyone with simple faith who was hurt because they put their trust in the Lord. I've seen a lot of people who were prayed for and didn't seem to be able to receive their healing, but I've never seen anybody who was badly hurt or turned up to be a serious case because they'd put their faith in the Lord. I'll tell you folks, the Lord will not fail you. And he summons us to not just become experienced, expert diagnosers of the problems, uh, people who can check somebody out and say, well, that sounds like so-and-so, or I'll tell you, we'll pray for it if you want, but I'd sure take care of that. Listen, folks, you really have to come to a place with regard to the deliverance of the Lord, and I don't only mean healing. I mean anything that you would trust God to do for you, where you decide if you're going to function on the basis of caprice, where you just wait around and say, well, I hope I'm one of the lucky ones. Or where you say experience. Well, you know, I, I, at least let's see. We'll, we'll pray, and I sure hope it works. Of course, I know you're not supposed to say what, you, what you're going to do if it doesn't work, but then in your mind you're figuring out a line of recall. Listen, faith doesn't make any provision for failure. Faith doesn't make any provision for failure. You decide which direction you're going to go. And in this case, as the man is there for 38 years, you look in verse 6, Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, and he said to him, Will you be made whole? <clears throat> now there's one other group of people, and that's verse 7. The eminent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water's troubled to put me into the water, or put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Now this is another thing from just the ones who are lucky to get in first. These are the ones that just say, well, there's just, you know, it's other people. If, if, if somebody else could just help me, if I just, if I just had the faith of people, listen, there is constantly, constantly people who are saying, say, listen, I, you know, I, I can't really believe for it, but would you, would you help pray for me? And uh, we'll just, you know, I just hope that it'll work out. Or fill out a prayer card and, s s again, some more of the spiritual guesswork. But the distinct quality of it is, let's stop and pray a minute. Let's stop and pray a minute. I've seen about 20 people just about falling asleep. And I know it's not my preaching, and I'm going to tell you something right now. It's the devil. Close your eyes and let's pray. <clears throat> Blessed Lord, we know you have a truth to teach us, and we ask that you establish your dominion over this slumber and cause your victory now just to be manifest among us. And let us, Lord, enjoy a clarity of thought for the purpose of your work among us now in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Okay. And so there comes that helplessness that, that, well, if just somebody would help me. By the way, any of you that were getting worried, don't feel defensive about it. It's okay. Uh, there comes that, you know, I, if, if other people, I, it's, it's up to other people to bear me along. And listen, the key to, there's two major statements in this passage of Scripture that tell you where it all really lies. And the first thing that Jesus says to this man, will you be made whole? And regardless of what it is you're talking about, of God's provision for human nature, whether you're talking about physical provision, whether you're talking about deliverance from horrible memories, whether you're talking about healing of things that have happened at the, at the emotional level of your being, 
you're talking about things that have gone on in your mind that you just wish you could get free from, if you're talking about habits that have tormented you, if you're talking about a long-term affliction or the fear of some short-term thing, something that seems to be approaching you, if you're talking about <coughs> someone that has some dread disease, some killer disease, it doesn't make any difference what you're talking about. If you're talking about laying claim to people who need to be saved, if you're talking about reaching out and touching lives for Jesus, or if you're talking about, forgive me for getting so practical, building a building with money that you don't have in hand yet, if you're talking about believing God to make you a fruitful person in the place that you are, it doesn't make any difference which of these things you're talking about. Jesus will come to you and say, not is it a matter of guesswork or other people helping you or the question doesn't have anything to do with, with uh, how much experience you've got? He'll say, what will you? Will you be made whole? And the question of the Lord Jesus Christ comes to every single one of our hearts, what will you have? And you can hang around endlessly banking on your experience, deciding, well, I just, I just hope something works out and I... I just, uh, you know, I'd like to believe that this kind of thing could happen to me. But the Lord Jesus stands, and in his love and his grace, his compassion and his faithfulness, he just puts the finger right where, he, where it belongs, on you and me, and he says, what do you want? What do you want? Now, he doesn't say it cruelly, he doesn't say it brutally, but he asks, he says it directly and personally, what will you have? What do you want? And when the man answered him, when Jesus said, Wilt thou be made whole? That's when he made his speech about, Sir, I have no man. And Jesus doesn't even bother to dignify that response about other people. He doesn't dignify it with an answer. He just comes back with a direct command that the man can respond to or not. And his words, there's threefold command. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus spoke those words to me that morning, just the other day. And I did not rise, I did not take up my body, and I didn't walk the way I could have walked. And as a result, I found that it just took about three days. It's just finishing up right now. The usual finishing off is the way it would have, it would have been another week to ten days in between where I was and I, and I came to be. And I'll tell you why the Lord put that double touch on me but there was apparently a third one that just would have finished that he just held back. Not because he would make me sick. I believe it was my own stupidity getting out there. I wasn't in no condition to play baseball. And <clears throat> I went out to play anyway. And he put that double touch as because he had a lesson to teach, Pastor Jack Hayford. And I got an F when the actual test came. Unless you want to count the fact that I was willing to let people keep praying for me because that's sort of a humbling thing. And... Uh, it was kind of, it doesn't seem humbling anymore. I remember the time it would have been, but anymore I've just learned that it, it doesn't hurt folks to pray. Just go on, pray some more. You can pray for me all you want. So I said, just go ahead and pray. And they did, but I can remember when the Lord touched me, it wasn't any great burst of faith on my part, except I do remember I can chalk one up for the old pastor too, that I didn't make a negative confession there. And that's when that touch came, almost immediately after learning not to poor mouth it. And to stand there in my agonies and say, well, you know, I never really have been able to believe for anything that's a result of my own stupidity. And the Lord stopped me. The Holy Spirit just, it was just as though, just like, cool it. And I cooled it, and then the touch came. But I failed the next morning in that moment of test. No question in my mind in the world 
if I had risen. I wish I could tell you I just swung out of that bed just like I did 22 years ago, but I can't tell you that. And maybe there the Lord, I'm, I don't think maybe, I'm sure he will even redemptively use that because it gives a point of identification for some of you that labor with some of the same things that I did. Or you fear, really believing that God's going to do a remarkable thing. There comes the doubt, the misgiving. Well, but you don't want to take too much for granted. You say, well, Jack, how do you know what's the difference between faith and presumption? You ask the Holy Ghost. That's how you know. And if you're not certain when you ask the Holy Spirit, well, then ask some trusted elders in the body of Christ. And I'll tell you, folks, one thing that I guarantee you, you will never get from many of the elder body of this church. You won't get from the ones the Lord puts in this congregation to influence others, and that's any encouragement to your unbelief. If there's anything you'll get, you may not get great giant men of faith, because I certainly don't claim to be a giant of faith. But you're not going to get anything that's going to encourage your flesh or doubt. We'll encourage you to trust the Lord. And I'll pray with you about anything you want to pray about. And I mean it. I don't care if you, you name it. And I decided this last week that the, what the Lord has spoken to our hearts about since I remember three years ago when Chuck and Paul and I were down here praying one Wednesday afternoon. And Paul told about how the Lord showed him people being healed all over this auditorium. And he said, I mean miracle healings. And I believe the Lord is bringing us to a time that we're to take the stability and the solidity and just the good sense balance that the Lord's cultivated with some of the principles of discipline as a congregation and begin now to just step out on the diving board and jump off a few times and believe the Lord to see that we don't crash on the bottom. And to watch him do some things of truly miraculous nature among us. And I think Jesus is saying to the church on the way, will you be made whole? It's not you see so much as though we're sick as it is that we would come more to full stature of what he wants us to be. That kind of wholeness, the wholeness of becoming more. And yet I'm not ready to say that maybe there is not some latent sickness that is lurking around in the, in the flesh of the church on the way. Because we are collectively a, a body, and in the body of my own body, there's flesh that can, that can labor with unbelief, just like I told you the other day. And if there's anything I know about Jack Caford, I want to do the will of the Lord. I want to trust God for great things. I want to move on and do what the Lord tells me to do. But I found myself fearful of making a move for simple reasons of pain the other day. In spite of the fact that I know the great physician Jesus never fails, I was just afraid that maybe it was my own thinking. If it was a matter of Jesus' voice, you say, Jack, what if the Lord spoke? What if, what if the Lord had called in the window and said, Jack, get up right now? What would you have done? I tell you, I'm afraid that I might have done the very same thing I did. Because what do you need after all? I only had a double touch of his finger the night before. I'd say that's enough as a direct voice. And beside, while I was laying there in bed, that's when, that's when I got John chapter 5. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Came to my mind. That's good enough. I didn't make that up before. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Of course, you can argue that kind of stuff. You know, say, oh, you just know that scripture. You just knew that that wasn't the Lord. Holy Spirit didn't bring that to your mind. That's just you. Boy, if you move, sweetheart, it's going to hurt when you hit the floor. <laughs> well, folks, what I really believe is that the Lord is saying to church on the way, it's time to hit the floor. It's time to roll over and stand up. It's time to decide individually, many of us, just what level you're ready to move in to possess. It is the time to take the kingdom 
Rise up, ye strong, tis Christ's command, for every power and dominion is given now into your hand. Ye who have ears to hear the trumpet, ye who have hearts to understand, it's the time to take the kingdom. Rise up, ye strong, tis Christ's command. I'll tell you one thing that you will never find at this church. You will never find encouragement for other unbelief, but never will you either find impatience with people who are trying to grow into faith. And that's one of the things that I think along the balance of any kind of program it's difficult to, to find. I've, had, I, I've seen some marvelous teachers on the subject of faith, and almost to the man, they tend to scare a lot of people out of the possibility that they could ever grow into anything. It always is like, brother, you either lay claim to it, or you're never going to have anything. And there's some that just figure they can't lay claim to it right then, and so kind of back off a little bit and say, well, I guess I just, you know, I'll never make it here, so I guess I just got to go to school someplace else. It is not a pandering to the flesh that leads me to say this, but it is a recognition of the fact that there is a growth process and there is a patience that I think the Lord shows with all of us. God be praised, the Lord didn't take anything from me because of my slowness of moving. I didn't feel the Lord reach in and touch my back twice and pull back and say, well, I take it back then if you're not going to trust. He gives abundantly and His grace is remarkable. But the question is, why do we go around with less than full possession? Why do we not just rise and take up our bed and move on? Get up and move on with it. And the thing that has been our support, you know, I've, I've had people... Uh, I, not too long ago, I read this quotation that said, the world says to you, you made your own bed, you're going to have to lay in it. And that's exactly what I was saying about my experience on the ball field. It was just a result of my own stupidity. You made your own bed, lie in it. But there was another man who changed that whole statement for mankind who came and said, you rise and take up your bed and walk. And in contrast to the reasoning of the human mind that says, well, I'm in this mess, I guess I'm just going to have to see it through. There is a Lord Jesus who says, you can be changed. Now, there are some of you here right now that you have habits that you're afraid that really, if you began to trust the Lord to deliver you from it, that maybe it really wouldn't work and you would be embarrassed. But I want to tell you something, that there are people in this church and I'm willing to stand right at the head of the line to tell you, I will stand with you and pray until that thing is broken. And believe if it takes us six months to begin to seek the face of God, we'll see that thing broken and you will see the victory of the Lord. There are people that, are, that, <clears throat> that have physical needs that you've been even afraid to bring up for fear that when you hear all the testimonies of other people being healed and so many marvelous things transpiring, that if it didn't happen to you, that people would kind of look down on you like as one of the ones who don't really believe. But I tell you, there will never be a faith elite in this church and then the faith nincompoops on the other hand. But there will be the body of Jesus Christ who sticks together and we pray until we see the Lord work his victory in everything that we move to. And I believe the Lord, is, with all my heart, I believe he's saying, church, that we are supposed to start challenging some new bastions of darkness. I think the move over to Santa Monica is not just accidental that it comes at this time. That we've got that ministry that started out over there, the way in west, and the Lord has specifically said that he wants us to, uh, to turn over, tear down some strongholds in that area. Just encouraging signs on the first night. But we can rejoice over those few bullets I showed you this morning and what the Lord did there. And a few reports of what the Lord's doing as the kids minister in that area. And then just let the thing go. Where the Lord is looking for a troop of people who by their God will pull down a wall. 
and begin to move on in laying hold of, of territory that needs to be possessed. The Lord is saying, in effect, to us, what will you? Wilt thou be made whole? What do you want? What will you possess? You have loved ones that you're praying for. Let's set about praying for them again. Is it something you say, well, I just, you know, I prayed for a little while there and I got kind of weary. And what should, is it always prayer? Or are you just supposed to kind of claim it once and then praise God? Well, folks, I'm not going to take time on that particular facet of question because I think that we can fiddle around with little theological doodads forever. But one thing I know the Lord won't do, and that's the, the Lord, the God of Israel, never slumbers or sleep, and his ear is never deaf, his arm is never short, and he's always ready to listen to anyone that will call and to reach out and work. And so the question is, what will you that he'll do for you? How many of you are there that have received a partial experience in the fullness of the Spirit or have not received the baptism with the Holy Spirit? And there's a reluctance to just step out and say, all right, Lord, this is it. I can remember time and time again never responding to an invitation to be baptized with the Spirit. And you know why? Because I thought, well, if I went down and wasn't filled, it'd kind of be an embarrassment to me and a disappointment to the people that are praying for me. What I was really saying was that I, I, I just doubted. That's what I was saying. I was speaking and thinking through unbelief and functioning on that basis. And there are a zillion examples that could be given. But to every one of those, the Lord just says, what will you? Now, it's not a question of mind over matter. It's a question of your mind saying, I trust the Lord. It's a question not of <clears throat> just deciding that I'll think positive thoughts, a question of knowing that God says positive things, and I'm going to respond to those things. It's his word, his truth, and he says, what will you? And I believe that the Lord is saying now, church on the way, going to learn a new way, going to learn some new steps, going to learn to walk in a new dimension. I believe among those things, I'm not asking God to make this some spectacle center where there's all the nifties that people come running just to see, but I'll tell you this, by the same token, I don't want to back off from anything the Lord has to do. You know, I've sort of had the attitude for quite a few years that I, I wouldn't particularly care to ever see crowds just coming to see miracles. People getting out of wheelchairs and people who were leaving crutches aside and where limbs were being lengthened on a regular basis and eyes were seeing and ears were hearing. Because I've known too many times where crowds would just come. And as the crowds would come, they would go away, and just like they did in Jesus' time, they're fickle, empty, going nowhere crowds. But I tell you something, that there's a real need for us to decide how much time have we got anyway, and how many people are there to touch. And if we're going to touch any kind of significant numbers of people today, we're just going to have to risk the ones that aren't ready to stand in discipleship. And I believe that the body of this church is strong enough now that there are several hundreds of people who have their head straight, know how to stand in the basic disciplines of life in Jesus, that we're not about to get top-heavy with a whole bunch of people that gather around because they see miracles. The question is, are we willing now to just begin to move in and possess the miraculous? At the same time, I recognize that one of the signs of the last days, too, will be the deceptive workings of the enemy as he comes with lying wonders. But we don't need to worry about falling into that trap as long as we always glorify the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stay in the Word of God, depend upon a pure work of the Holy Spirit of God. You are not going to fall in that trap. And some of the things that I've found as subtle little suggestions to myself, that well, just, you just got to play it a little careful. 
a little cautious are things the Lord's finally wrenching me out of and saying, look, look, I'd like the faith of a 17-year-old, not the human wisdom of a 39-year-old. And some of us need to become children again. You say, well, you're not minimizing the wisdom of a 39-year-old. No, I said the human wisdom. There is a mind of the Spirit, the wisdom of God, that we grow in and, and to continually develop in. And I'm not backward to say that I praise God for the number of men that stand with me in this congregation that are men of spiritual wisdom and insight and perspective and recognize that there is something that comes of weight and depth as you come to know the Lord and year follows year. There is a cumulative value in the things of the Spirit. But by the same token, there's a cumulative thing in the world of the flesh that's not just so much given itself to sin as it is just, just too careful when it comes to a real leap of faith. And I believe we're at the place where the Lord's just saying, will you stand up, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now the Lord's going to begin, if you'll notice in verse 5, I think it is, 4 or 5, that Jesus said that Jesus knew that he was in that condition. But I'll tell you something that I want to invite some of you to begin to ask the Lord for. During the last two months, many of us on the staff have been asking the Lord to begin to teach us as an assembly how different gifts of the Spirit may operate in the assembly. We have many of them in function now. In fact, I, I doubt there's many of the gifts that haven't at one time or another functioned in the life of the church. But the Lord is, uh, I, I believe, challenging us to begin to expect a more affluent flow of the manifestation of the gifts, not just in some kind of a dingy, cartwheel-turning, uh, Pentecostal nonsense act, just in a sensible move and grasping some of the things the Lord has. And when the Bible says that Jesus knew that he'd been of that state for a long time, it wasn't anything that had been told him, but the Lord Jesus knew it not because he was the Son of God, he knew it because he was filled with the Spirit of God. Now, Jesus was the Son of God, but if you've never heard a teaching on the humanness of Jesus when he came and how those things were revealed to him by the Spirit in the same way that he revealed those things to us, well, then it's a basic thing that needs to be taught and understood, and there's not time for the teaching now. But Jesus knew that by what we call the word of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 12 calls it the word of knowledge. And I believe the Lord is going to begin to awaken in this congregation people who will have the word of knowledge, and you're going to begin to know things to know things about people. The Lord's going to bring people into these meetings and you're going to know, maybe not even who it is, but you'll know that there's someone here who has a partial seeing problem in their right eye. You're going to know that there's someone here that has a dislocated hip or there's the bone is wasting away and they're fearful that they're going to lose a limb. You're going to know that someone has come into this auditorium that's facing a great financial crisis, and by Tuesday they need $25,000. And the Lord's going to begin to reveal things like that to people that are in the assembly. And I want to encourage church, those that are biting part of the assembly, that as the Lord would ever impress you with anything, that you let it be known. And the way you let it be known is you just jot it on a piece of paper and put your name on it and see that it gets to me or to whoever is in charge of that service. And the Lord will show us how to begin to function that way. But one thing I meant to point out, and look back there in your Bibles if you still have it open. When Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk, verse 9 says, Immediately the man was made whole, and he rose and took up his bed and walked. That same instant, 
And the thing that's so impressive to me is that when Jesus said it, it was immediately done. When he spoke it, it was immediately done. And I believe the Lord is wanting to speak things to his church today. He's wanting to say, there is someone here, and I will do this. But the way that Jesus speaks to his church today is by his Holy Spirit through believers. And just the same way that tongues with interpretation or prophecy is not going to come unless somebody in the body functions with it, words that Jesus would say, I know you've been this way for a long time. Will you be made whole? Those words won't be spoken unless they come from someone in the assembly. Just as we acknowledge this program of submission and inquire as to whether we ought to function at a given time in some of the gifts, I think that an appropriate way to function in the word of knowledge and other things the Lord might reveal to hearts would be just what I've said. And I believe that this is going to begin to happen. And as the Lord does it, then you just do what I said. You write it down and see that it gets up here and we'll, we'll respond to it accordingly as the Lord gives us wisdom in handling it. But the whole point, some of you have seen on a few instances when the Lord's given me words like that, there's somebody here that faces this. This is something that's been Ray's experience on many occasions. And Ray has oftentimes just said to me, there's somebody so-and-so, and I won't even say anything for 15 minutes, and later on then I'll, I'll say it. There's times that things can be done as the service goes on, as Scripture says, decently and in order. There's a time those things can be done. But the Lord Jesus wants to speak it. He wants to speak it through the assembly. And when he speaks it, it will happen then. When he said it, immediately the man was made whole. And that's the way the Lord works. He will speak his word and confirm it immediately. Confirms the word with the sign following. Now there's no question that people are going to get plenty of teaching and stability in the word. We're not changing anything of that program here. We're not slavering after the miraculous now and kind of the word can go by the boards. I believe with all my heart that the basic reason the Lord's given us much of the things that we have here together is because we contend for a spirit of praise and worship, a humble walk before the Lord. We stay much in the word and there is a, an, an insistence on discipline and not just being a groovy little body who have their nifty thing in church on the way, zoom, zoom, zoom. But where we be, what the Lord deals with us about being, and what I believe he's saying to the church now is, church, it's time to rise up and possess the kingdom a new, new level. And there are strongholds the Lord wants to give us.